Well, good morning, class. It's been a while since I've been back. Um, we've been on the road a bit, a little bit. Debbie can't, she, this is her first, first Sunday back. And also Ricky's back. And Charlie. That's great. Um, first of all, I want to thank Philip, who isn't here. Mari is. For the last two or three, I guess three Sundays, I think, it's uh, pretty remarkable in any size congregation to have someone like Philip and William in the same class uh, to be able to step in at the last minute notice. And for that matter, many of you could also just have stepped up. But I, Mari, I've already told Philip, thank you. But he covered chapters um, 9, 10, and 11 of Revelation. And that was, you know, you've got the seventh trumpet sounded in Revelation 11:15, I think. And just before that, you have another interlude between the seals and the trumpets that, that uh, Philip talked about, that you all discussed. But with the seventh trumpet, you would think comes the, sev the first cup of wrath, uh, and it doesn't yet. There's another interlude. So what I thought I would do, and I was thinking about this yesterday or the day before, and I know I do this pretty frequently, but I'm trying to use fewer and fewer words because it's, <clears throat> it's really important, I think, I know, it's important for us to understand the whole context of the apocalypse, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ. What we have, if you'll remember, there are 22 chapters, and we're going to be through with them by the last Sunday in July. We'll wrap up the study. Uh, I'm going to cover chapter 12 today. And I uh, appreciate uh, Scotty for stepping in at the last minute and getting us rolling here. But I'm going to cover chapter 12, next week 13, 14, the week after 15, 16. And then we're taking, seven, we're taking one chapter at a time between June and July, 17 through 22, and that will wrap up the study. Um, so, as a reminder, uh, I want us to go back to chapter 1. We're not going to review, but I do want to put this in the context again. If you, if, you, if you miss the forest and you're in the middle of the woods, you know, you can identify a tree or two, but you really can't identify the landscape. And it's so important, I think, in all Bible study to understand context. You know, as they say in, in, in seminary and graduate schools, context 
is king. If you don't understand the context, you'll never understand the biblical verse that you're looking at. It's every, every, every narrative is written in, in context. Revelation is especially so because of the 66 books we have from Genesis to Revelation, only one is really written in exclusively in this apocalyptic uh, literary, uh, literary uh, genre, only one. Daniel has bits and pieces, 9 through 12, Ezekiel touches upon it, but only Revelation from the beginning to the end <clears throat> is this is this apocalyptic, very symbolic um, narrative. And so if you, if you miss the forest in Revelation, which is the scroll, if you, <clears throat> if you miss that, nothing else makes much sense. So as a reminder, this is what we've done in Revelation. We have in chapters 1 the uh, vision of Jesus Christ to John, right? John, the son of Zebedee, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's in prison there by the Roman authorities. It's a penal colony. He's the only surviving apostle of the 12 uh, left. In fact, of the 13, Paul's already, Paul too, the great apostle, is, is, is gone, is, is passed to the other side. So John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, is the only one left. Jesus gives him a vision of the last days, the end of time, just like, I believe, the Spirit of God through Moses penned Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was, you know, not, not the word, but in the beginning God created all the way through Revelation. So you have John the son of Zebedee receiving this vision from Jesus Christ. Okay, that's chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3, it has to be addressed to somebody it's addressed to the seven churches, but by extension to the entire body of Christ and by further extension to all of Israel, physical Israel and spiritual Israel. And we really read that again in this chapter that we'll be reading in just a moment. So you have the vision of Christ given to John to deliver to the seven churches. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4 and 5 set the whole scene. And if you miss it, you just, well, you just can't miss it. Chapters 4 and 5 are the great throne scene, God, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, and all the angels. God is holding a scroll, seven seals. Nobody's worthy to take the scroll and break it open. Uh, and I'm going to remind us what the scroll contains, or you're gonna, we're going to discuss it somewhat. We have wonderful time here. Um, and, but there is someone worthy. He's the, 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 the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. He's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God steps forward, takes the scroll from the hand of God, and the story begins. There's only one story. I haven't read a single scholar or a Bible student anywhere who believes there are three or four different endings. Only one. Now, not everyone agrees that each of these reveal the same story, but they all agree that each one reveals a part of the same story. It's called progressive parallelism. And that's where I am, by the way. Um, the only other real controversy is the thousand-year reign. Is it literal or is it symbolic? But as far as understanding the story. So the first seal is broken open, a great catastrophe. First horseman, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal, sixth seal. All of that's broken open in chapter 6, but not the seventh seal. Then you go into this interlude. By the time you get to the seventh seal in chapter 8, 
Now you're introduced to the seven trumpets. Now keep this in mind. The word seven, obviously the number is, is a symbol for perfection. So you've got the scroll with a message. Now the operative question is that I actually had written here, but I wanted to get rid of some of these words. The operative message uh, question is, what's the message? Not rhetorically asked. I, I want you to, we can discuss it. From, it doesn't, you don't have to nail it with some sort of a commentary that you're reading from. Just so far with what we've shared together, myself, you, Philip, and others, what we've talked about, basically what is the message of the scroll? What's the story? What's in the scroll? All right. Oh, no, that's good. We don't have to even identify, Teresa, but you're absolutely right. Many believe that they're talking about Rome. Whether they are or not, pay for what and, pay f and, and paid by whom. Let's just talk about the storyline. You're right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, to me, uh, and I may be completely wrong, but most of the prophecy things and uh -huh. apocalyptic things, I mean, they have to mean something for the people it was written to. Otherwise, it would be ridiculous. I mean, it has you're to right. mean something to do. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, let's, let's keep going with this because this is the most important question the entire book of Revelation addresses. Weeks and weeks ago I talked about this is the theme or the theses is what I use for Revelation. Do you remember what it was? Just like a, a single sentence uh, thesis statement if you're familiar with any sort of writing, right? What is the thesis of Revelation? God wins. God wins. Okay, keep that because you know, when you talk about Rome and pay for their sins, etc., okay, God wins. So let's, let's, let's back up. God wins. That's the last thing I presume you're talking about. Let's back up. What unfolds in the scroll? Um, will, I'll just ask these sort of yes, no. Will Jesus Christ return to this earth? Yes. yes. He's already promised that not only in Revelation, not only to John in Revelation 1, but he's repeated that throughout the New Testament and, if you really read carefully, throughout the entire biblical text from Genesis all the way through, Hebrew text as well. Jesus Christ, God will return, right? Okay. When, when Christ returns, what will he do? Judgment. Judgment. Who is he going to judge? Who? He's going to judge everyone. Believers? Don't, well, really, the word judgment is always conveyed as damnation. Uh, that's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. He's not talking about making distinctions. He's saying you cannot send a person to hell or you're going to go to hell. And that, that's really taking a lot, lot of liberty with the text. But the word judge means to condemn, right? So he's going to come back and he's going to condemn, but he's also going to do what? Other than condemn. He's going to save. He's going to save those who, who are His, and He's going to condemn those who have, by their own volition, repeatedly denied Him. So, 
Here's that singular thesis again. Jesus Christ will return to remove evil and make all things new. He's going to come again, and when he does, these are called the birth pangs of the, of the kingdom. Each of these narratives reveal a different, they, they add information to the storyline. The storyline is Jesus will return, and when he returns, he's going to judge Israel and all unbelievers. It began with he's going to save his people and he's going to judge the others. And then Satan will eventually be imprisoned in the abyss. So the devil is now removed. It's, it's an, it's, it, you, know, you can use whatever words you want to use, but don't lose sight of the story. The first four horsemen, seals one, two, three, four. The first horseman, the Antichrist, seal two, three, four. The other three horsemen, seal five. The martyrs, seal six. It, and then when the seventh seal is broken open, and all of these seals are, used, are using the imagery of Daniel. Whether John had that or whether Jesus said, I want you to use the imagery of Daniel, either way, some commentators will write, John did this. Others will write, Christ did this. I believe in the end it has to be God. So the Lord, in the first iteration of the story, uses Daniel's imagery. Read Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, 7 through 12. He'll use Daniel's imagery. Then there's an interlude, and every intermission, if you will, you have a two-part, you know, long movie, you have an intermission, a long concert intermission. The interludes aren't there to just break up thought. They're there to add to the story. Progressive parallelism. So everything in Scripture. We're going to be reading Revelation 12 real soon about the woman, the child, and the dragon. And then we're going to read about a war in heaven, Revelation 12, uh, uh, 7 through 12. And then we're going to read 13 through 17, which is talking about if, if, if God cared and protected Israel, God will care and protect the church. So Revelation 12 doesn't talk about the first cup of wrath, but the seventh trumpet's already sounded. So keep this in mind. When the seventh seal is broken, the seven trumpet iteration begins. When the seventh trumpet is blown, the seven cups of wrath begin. When the seventh bowl or cup of wrath is poured out on the earth, we then have the final battle. Babylon falls, Satan is bound for a thousand years, He's released from that thousand years, and God sends him right to the abyss. The word means deep, D-E-E-P, deep, to the abyss. And then after the devil is completely out of the picture, you have a new heaven and a new earth. So these are the three iterations of the same story. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just convinced of it. I know it is. You do your own thinking and do your own reading, but we're not talking about three stories. We're talking about one told in different words every time. Why? Why would you tell anyone a story with the same theses, same focus, three times using different words? Why would you do that? Because somebody might understand one, one uh, example and somebody else would understand a different example, but they wouldn't understand each other's yeah. example often. 
No, I think they're nailed. God wants us to get this. And wasn't that the Jewish way of teaching Abraham? Yes, yes, over and over yes, again? yes. I mean, yes. Reading the Bible. I thought I just read that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, the imagery of Daniel, they understood. They also, now the seven trumpets don't even talk about the imagery of Daniel. What do the seven trumpets do? They talk about plagues. And so John, God through John, takes the seven churches back to the Exodus. I'm telling you, the Exodus event is the most important event in all of Scripture, aside from only the Christ event. But the Christ event completes the Exodus event. The Exodus event was God delivering His people from physical bondage. It was a big deal then, and in Jewish circles today, it's still a big deal. You go downtown on any Shabbat, any Sabbath, and celebrate with them. You go to the Passover, and they're all going to go back to the Exodus event. Now, Jesus completed that, right? So now... We are celebrating, and we do it every Sunday. We did it this morning with communion. We are celebrating God delivering us from what kind of bondage? Spiritual, Spiritual bondage. Now, keep those two words are important. You know, Israel has, the word has always implied, always meant God's children, God's people. So you've got Israel, and then Paul talks about this in length in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And now you've got the spiritual Israel, the church, one completes the other. That's why Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law or to abrogate it. I came to fulfill it. So it's important as you read through this. So the seven seals, Daniel, the seven trumpets, the Exodus imagery, and the seven cups of wrath. We're going to go to that next week. Matthew 26, on the, on the, um, there when he's, when he's setting up the uh, Lord's Supper, there at the Passover room, the Last Supper, <clears throat> and he takes the bread, breaks it, you know, out of context of the Passover, gives it, they eat it. Then he takes the cup. We've already talked about that being the third cup, the cup of blessing, and, and, he, and he says, drink of it, all of you. And then he adds a peculiar, I think peculiar, unless you really read the context. Then he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, not the third cup. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Revelation, the message, the scroll contains the unfolding of the kingdom of God. These are birth pains. Whether you believe seven years or, or not using literal meaning, whether it's a figurative. So you've got birth pains. Birth pains of the trumpets, the seals, trumpets, cups. It's just important because you can't isolate each word. We're going to read through Revelation 12, obviously pretty fast here. Because you, if you start isolating the word, okay, uh, seven diadems, ten horns. And if you, and if you spend, we can give a, I, I, I'll share with you a very general answer, and I think it dovetail, dovetail, dovetails into this, but... Um, I'm not going to talk about each word because I think it's too dizzying and you lose sight of it. Okay, any, any question? Uh, Revelation 14.10 talks about the cup of wrath, right? One more thought about the cups of wrath that are coming. What did Jesus say um, 
when he was in the garden and he was in anguish and he, and he prayed, Father, remove this cup from me. You can finish it. Yeah. I heard all the right words. Just nobody said it all together. <laughs> so, remove this cup from me. You know, then he concludes, not my will, your will be done. And, the, and many, many Bible students believe the cup he's referencing is the cup of wrath, which they consider to be the fifth cup. Four cups, Passover, cup of wrath. The last cup of the Passover was the cup of restoration. I believe that's what he meant in Matthew 26. He could be, mean, however, the cup of wrath. But the, this is the point. The seven churches were very familiar with this expression. The, you'll often read bowls because the Greek uses a different word from the Hebrew text, but, uh, but the word, but, but nobody drank, I think, you know, you had soup and stuff out of a bowl, but I think the context is clearer when you say cup. So, seven seals, seven seals, first trumpet, seventh trumpet, first cup, seventh cup, final victory, and the, and the story's already over, it's told. Okay, so with that in mind, so this, this is the operative, this is what you don't want to lose sight of. Don't get bogged down. Understand it, but they're all, all of this is revealing what was in the scroll. And what was in the scroll is God's plan to remove evil as it should have been from the Garden of Eden, make all things new. These are birth pangs. Of, in fact, that expression is actually used in Revelation 12. These are birth pangs of God's kingdom being born. We think the kingdom's here already in the church. It's simply a, uh, what's the word? It's not a prototype. It, it's a, it is a type of kingdom. Somebody, you know, I was told years ago I couldn't pray the Lord's Prayer because the kingdom's come already. And so I said, okay, I guess I won't. And then I was about eight. By the time I was 13, I said, no, I'm praying this. I mean, you know, so when you say, you know, you know um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, God's kingdom has not yet come, not the full reign of his kingdom. That's what this is all about. The church is the kingdom, but it's the kingdom uh, as, a, as a typecast of all that will happen. I promise you in heaven you'll not be tempted. Who tempts us? Satan. Satan's going to be nowhere in heaven. He's going to be gone. Right now he's on earth, so there's still temptation, and therefore we still yield, and therefore we still need God's grace. And so this is the kingdom, kind of. But I don't know about you, but this kingdom involves sin. Yeah, Bonnie? Exactly. In fact, people have a hard time, a lot of people, lots of Christians have a hard time reading the Old Testament, places like Deuteronomy when, when the Lord spoke to uh, Joshua and said, I want you to kill everyone. Kill them all. Kill them all. Children, babies, women, men. But then he added, only in those nations that border 
God's nation. Why? And then he explains why. Because they will, the next generation will come. And so we don't, we don't get it on this side of eternity. Um, but the truth is God's righteousness is far more important than life. The life of an infant, the life of me, the, life of, the physical life of anyone, God's righteousness totally supersedes that. And if me dying would, would if, be, if some it would, no, I can't go there because then we start chasing rabbits. The point is, is that you can, it's very important to understand that that long view of God's history. Okay, but that's, a, a, that's, in, that's in Deuteronomy and, and I'll leave that for Philip and William to handle. Okay, here we go. Chapter 12, you with me? Let's go to chapter 12. Once again, there are three parts, 1 through 6, 7 through 12, and 13 through 17, and we've got 20 minutes, and that we can do it, maybe even 25. There are three players in this first segment. And keep in mind now, the seventh trumpet has already sounded. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah, the seventh trumpet has sounded. And in fact, it sounded back in 1115. Do you see that? The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. Okay, why you would think they would go right into the first cup of wrath, but once again... God is wanting to, to provide more information to the story. So the seven seals, I'm going to reiterate this, the seven seal is beginning to end story. Interlude, more information. The seven trumpets, beginning to end story. Interlude, more information. Then you have the interlude, then you have the seven cups of wrath and another interlude. So that's what this is. This is adding information that the readers of the seven churches had not yet heard. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. I'm going to read all six verses. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. <clears throat> uh, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Well, she's giving birth, obviously, to the kingdom. That's why all of these stories is, are the birth pangs of the kingdom. Um, verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. The moment it was born, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, there are three players. Who are they in this little narrative? Are, the dragon is one. The woman and the child. Three different players. Now, <clears throat> who is Satan after? initially. The child. Now, does he devour the child? God takes it. God takes it. So, no, the answer, you're right, Teresa. No, he doesn't devour the child. If Satan, if, and by the way, it is, he, he's not called Satan. Here, he is called Satan, right in, in verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So we know that it's not the Antichrist that some would say in Revelation um, 6. This is clearly identified. The red dragon here is the devil himself. Lucifer, probably an archangel, created by God as one of the highest 
forms of angelic beings, along with Michael and perhaps others who are not named. We're talking a very distinctive, powerful angel, given, created by God and given power by God. Okay. So we're talking, so the dragon, <clears throat> later on we might read the dragon, the Antichrist associated with Rome, etc. But right in this part, you've got the devil, the, uh, Satan, attacking the woman's child. When he can't devour the child, who does he turn to? The woman. Now, now w that's a singular. And we, and we always, you know, we're so, <clears throat> on the western side, we just don't think, you know, um, thematically. We think like chronologically and everything got to, we parse every verb. The, who do you think the woman is? And it's not a test <laughs> because there's a lot of discussion as to who the woman is. Maybe, yeah, that's, that's, but that, go, that, but that goes back. Let's, let, let me rephrase the question. Not even rephrase, let me ask a different question. Who, who do you think the male child was? Yeah, I don't believe there's any argument that the male child is not Messiah, Christ. And later on, it will talk about, the, it will actually name him, Jesus Christ. So the child is Christ. Now, you could go all the way back to before time, before creation. And I think it alludes to that, but it takes it all the way up to the time when the God was made man, the child was made manifest in the flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. <clears throat> Why do you think Satan would want to kill the child? Where was Satan's, whenever he was cast out, that's the second part of this chapter, verses uh, 7 through 12, there was a war in heaven, God wins, Satan is, is, is relocated to earth. <clears throat> Why do you think that Satan would want to kill the child? Don't think of it in a, in a huge, broad scheme that, that he wanted to take God's place, which is true. Think of it more with the son. <clears throat> yeah, Why? Well, actually, here, keep that thought, Steve. Look at verse 7. Since we're going to read that, that little that passage as well. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled where? To the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, and that's a, that's a hymn similar to the hymn in Revelation 5. Okay, Beelzebul, Satan, the accuser, the author of lies, was in heaven and a war broke out because he tried to rebel against God, which tells you that, that the angels really do have free will. Two-thirds of, I believe a third is what they're talking about, I'm talking about a third of the stars. But at any rate, you had the, the, the commanders-in-chief were Michael and Satan. Satan loses, he's, he's thrown out. Now, he, he might have begged the Lord, you know, send me somewhere, don't, don't put me in the abyss. God sent the devil to earth. Man hadn't, you know, man hadn't sinned yet, but now he's in the Garden of Eden. He tempts Eden, 
Eve, he tempts Adam, they sin, death enters the world, and the rest of the story, as they say, is history. The devil is here, hasn't been bound yet, been bound limitedly, but he's here, right? Okay, so the reason, turn to Psalm 2 and verse 9. There are many, many psalms, but I, many passages, but I want to read this, and so we're going to, I'm determined to get through this 12. I'm so impressed with Philip, he got through it. I know I can too. So look at Psalms 2 and verse 9 and tell me the, what was the purpose or what, what realm did the Messiah, was the Messiah to enter? I think it's 2-9, two, two I think. Can somebody just read it? Okay. Hang on. Okay. Verse 8. <laughs> Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. All right. You will rule them with an iron scepter. Same thing that Revelation talks about. The purpose of the Messiah was to rule as a righteous king the nations of the earth. Well, Satan had already been cast from heaven to the earth. This is his domain, and therefore he wants to prevent the child from being born. He will devour the child. But God snatches the child up, takes him to heaven. It's got to be the ascension. And from that point on, the devil has been attacking the mother. Now, once again, the, who do you think the woman was? Yeah. I believe, I'll just share what I believe, then, we, then we'll have gobs of time, and I'm going to finish it, and we'll discuss it. <clears throat> I believe he's making reference to Israel, the woman, the Messiah, the child. But Israel, by extension, is the church. This is why he concludes... <clears throat> In, in verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Now, here's the offspring. This will tell you who the woman was. Her offspring are those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The, the woman in Revelation 12 who's about to give birth are the people of God. The people of God, God is going to give birth through the people of God, Israel, and the birth is going to be the birth of the king, the king of kings, the birth of the Messiah. The Messiah's purpose is to change the earth, make it righteous. Yeah. I'm not trying no, to you don't have to. Okay. If the church is not Christ, how could the church give birth to Well, because you're looking at it, I think, and you may be right, just too literally. I think what we're talking about here is metaphor. We're talking that the the people of God, the people of God are the offspring, both offspring and and you for if if you want to exclude the church, you can and just focus on Israel for the longest. I interpreted the woman to be only physical Israel. That was my interpretation. I think it's broader than that now. I think it includes the church because we get lost on the words. The church is Israel. The church is the, 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 the same promise made to Abraham is the promise made to you. 
and the promise made to my great-great-great-grandchild if Jesus doesn't come. It's the same promise. God only, God's always only had one people, not two, one. Abraham is our brother. Paul and Abraham, of course, Paul was a Jew. Timothy and Abraham were, were brothers. That's what Paul explains, right? So I think, yes, we are the bride of Christ, and that's a valid point. But metaphorically, it's, it's, it's the spiritual Israel that gave birth. Yeah. And, and this, th this is good. I mean, discussion like this is in thinking through things because it helps you understand the, the, the narrative, the message. Okay, we read one through six. We alluded to seven. Um, by the way, I think the reason the red dragon is with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns, both the numbers seven and ten were numbers of perfection. And what, what I think uh, God is wanting to communicate to the, to the church today and to the seven churches is that the dragon is, is perfect evil. We think, well, is there any good at all in Satan? Is there any semblance? Any, you know, he was created by God. Did he keep like 80% bad and kept 20% good? I think it is clear there is 0% good in the accuser. Don't ever believe evil, no matter what words he, they use. They are evil to the core. I'm not talking about human beings who sin. I'm talking about Satan and his demons, evil. And I think that's why, because this could describe God. Forget the red dragon, seven heads and ten horns. and se The word horn means power. So he's got, you know, seven crowns. Okay, but we're talking perfect evil. Swept away a third of the stars. I think he's referencing, many scholars don't think it, but I think he's referencing the number of angels. Goes all the way through verse 6. And then the war in heaven broke out. The word Michael, in Hebrew, it means um, one who was like God. Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> okay, verses, uh, verses 10 through, um, through 12, are, it's a hymn. Yeah, Vince. Yeah, you've got it. You've, once again, you've got to understand, you know, do you interpret this? There are two different ways to interpret it. You can interpret it literally or figuratively. 1,260 1, days or three and a half years. The Antichrist rules for three and a half years. The first horseman. In that three and a half year period, false peace is ushered in. The world looks perfect, but it's the devil who's behind it, and the devil is the author of lies. And then, so you've got this, these numbers, and it's about, you, you go back to Daniel, Daniel 7, 1,260 days, three and a half years. The other 1,260 days, the second three and a half years, and then you have the final battle. So for those who believe, literally, they're saying that, that the church is raptured quickly, the moment Jesus comes, and then you've got three and a half years of this false peace, and then you have three and a half years of really bad stuff of God judging everyone, you know, and then you've got the final, the final battle. The devil is bound for a thousand years. You have a thousand literal years of peace and prosperity, and then God releases the devil 
chapter 20, and the devil returns to earth, raises another army, marches towards uh, Jerusalem, and you have the battle of Armageddon, and it doesn't even begin because the fire from heaven comes down and destroys everybody, and then you have a new heaven and a new earth. If you look at it literally, and many do, and, that's, and they may be right, it's so dizzying to me I can't even follow it. Figuratively, the seven years was adapted from Daniel's literature, Daniel's writings, inspired by God. And so in Daniel, it was a season of time, but not literal. And it unfolded as a season of time. So if it's, I feel like I have this, you know, deer in the headlights here. That's why I kind of, you know, Vince, um, I don't know. <laughs> so we're, we're going to read 13 through 17. This is the last part of chapter 12. Now remember, verses 1 through 6, the woman, child, dragon. Verses 7 through 12, the war in heaven. Now 13 through 18, if Satan cannot kill the son, who does he then turn his attention to? The woman, Israel, God's people, the church. And what God is telling the seven churches in verses 13 through 17 is, I cared, this is important, listen up. I, God speaking, which words? I cared and protected my people in the desert, and I will care and protect my people today. I am God. And that's what these verses remind us of. They add to the story. And here's, this is how they say it. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of, here's Daniel again, for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. By extension, the church. I'm telling you, in the seven and a half billion on the face of the planet, those who are not in Christ are really easy prey. Those in Christ, he cannot touch your salvation. He can take your joy, the devil, but he cannot touch you unless you want him to do so. I believe the only way I can forfeit my salvation is if I choose to. Verse 15, then from his mouth the serpent spewed water, he's still trying, uh, water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. All right, that didn't work, so we, he continues, then the dragon was enraged. Do you think the devil's really, really angry at God for protecting us no less than he was or when Job and God put a hedge of angels around Job and the devil said, you take away those angels and I'm powerful enough and I'll just, he said, okay, go ahead. And he, and he limited, and he, but he never won. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Ah, now we're coming to the church. Could not spiritually kill because the Messiah was coming through, the, through, through, through Israel, the people of God, 
And if he couldn't do it before God was made manifest in the flesh, God's made manifest in the flesh, and now he attempts to the same thing here. Now, who's he talking about? Well, he, he tells us. I'm going to read the first part of 17 again, and with that we're going to have a few minutes and then close. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman. Keep it in context. He's enraged, even though we talk about Israel being evil, you know, and sinning and, and, and needing the gospel of Jesus and so forth, they were God's people. Remember, they were God's people. And God limited the devil when he was around them. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Ah, here it is, that with that ellipsis. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's Charlie. The devil has been making war against Charlie and me and you for two millennia. But nothing will change because we obey God's commandments and we hold to the testimony, to the words of Jesus. And so what does the devil do in chapter 13? He gets help. Two beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet who's going to support the Antichrist. We are introduced in the next chapter to the Holy Trinity, to the, pardon me, to the unholy Trinity. The devil, the Antichrist, Jesus, evil Jesus, and the prophet, the Holy Spirit, good and the evil. So you'll see the beast out of the sea and the beast of the earth, chapter 13. Had we read about it before? Not in this detail because this is progressive parallelism. The story keeps unfolding with more and more information. And if you try to make three or four stories, you'll never understand the singular story. Fence. Excuse me? Oh, yeah. I, I think anything that, is, that will lead us astray from the Lord in any way has got to come from Satan, his demons, and his minions, his evil men. And when I sin, I'm party to that. And that's why it's heartbreaking. That's why John talks about your conscience just rips apart. The conscience of evil people, there is none. There are none. It doesn't bother them. It bothers you because the Spirit is pricking your heart. And that alone tells you you're with Him. If you've ever wondered, am I really a Christian? Do evil and see how you feel. So, yes, I think. What did you ask them? <laughs> Yes, yes. I think, I think you're right, Vince. What do you think, William? <laughs> Anybody have any other question or, or comment? Yes, sir. Isn't God good? All the time. God is good. Yeah. Well, Vince, we're all in the same leaky boat, brother. We're in the same boat. Don't wait for that.
Yes, yes, ma'am. We get so upset with what we see happening in the world now. And I know I sit back and say, but God's in control. But when I stop, when I hear all this, Satan has been madder than I'll get out at God, you know, at all of this. Mm -hmm. And he's getting even more angry and more, you know, and so he, he is the, he is the one that is, you know, trying to take God, started taking God out of the schools and taking God out of here and taking God out of there and taking God out of there. So if we can see that, then I think that really gives me peace to say, but I know who he is. And it sort of becomes, to me, I mean, I'm a simple-minded person anyway, but I think it's just simple. Yeah. You're in and you're not. That's right. It is. Harder to live, but simple to understand. I'm going to close with this thought. Oh, yes, well, William. Um, do you think, when back to where it's talking about uh, the dragon, the child, and the woman, that this was alluding back to when uh, Herod was trying to kill the firstborn and uh, uh, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt for a spell? Does that? I think it connects. Yeah. I don't think Mary was the woman. I think Mary was the mother of Jesus, right. but I don't. I, I think this is referencing God's all of the nations. But some do believe that it was Mary. The, the yeah, and it certainly makes sense. In the that yeah, it all it all connects, and you have all these wonderful, um, wonderful connections to that. Do you think it was? Yeah, I think there's some reference to that to to, to uh, when Herod wanted to ultimately killed yep. uh, the male child Christ and they yep. fled yep, Egypt, I agree. Uh, for a spell and, and they were well taken care of while they were there. But. And who did Herod work for? In that, yeah, Satan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to be party to, I tell you my problem with this, uh, we're, we're going to have to close, I'd love to just, I'd, I'd like to have a small group like all afternoon discuss this, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> but um, Going by what Sue said, too, and then kind of corroborated by William, if, if, this were, if, if this is a blank board and I put good and evil, <clears throat> I think anything that is evil, we, we, clearly evil, we know to stay away from. Now, we, it doesn't mean that we still don't sin, but we know it. For me, the problem is not the, the far here or understanding good. The problem is this gray area. When, when I have to really think something through, you know, movies with one cuss word, et cetera, you know, whatever, you, whatever is working through you, it's this area that, that, that I, is a daily struggle. Something that's pure evil is easy for me to get to stay away from. I'm just not going to go there. The devil knows that. So what does he do? Well, he just, it's alluring. It's a tempting so that's, that's my, my takeaway, and we've got to have a takeaway. My takeaway from the study of Revelation is that, yes, I am saved, but I want to be more than just saved. I want to be a witness for other people to see me and be saved. And if I ever am a witness of evil, that's awful. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Uh, Steve, would you close this, brother? Thank you.
Father, it's a shame that we only get this one hour every week together. But God, we thank you for it. And we thank you so much, Father, that you've given gifts. And all of us this opportunity to be together, Father. Thank you for which teaching. Thank you for your ability to open our eyes. God bless you. Next week we cover 13 and 14. What about, should we, should we take odds on that? Yeah, <laughs> we are. We ha I have to be through by July. I'm leaving in August. If I can't do it, I'll get Philip and William to do it. Smart alley. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to wrap this up the end of July. Okay. I am going to finish. Okay. We're, 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 we're taking a three, if Debbie can drive, we're taking a three-week trip to see our granddaughters in North Dakota. Oh, okay. And so we got to do it quickly. So we're going to do it. I okay. promise. Good comments, Steve. And I don't know the answers to some of that stuff. And you're right. And I, no, and I, I, I don't, you never have to. We've known each other for 20 years now. You don't have to preface anything. You well, just, you know, I... There, I was debating whether that was even appropriate to bring up in front of everybody here, but I, I just was, I, I was conflicted. But when you zero back into Israel, then it suddenly all made sense to me. And well, you're absolutely right, and, and, and that, that, and uh, William nailed it too. You know, you could take all these, you know, Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to Egypt and Herod trying to kill the baby and so forth. There's a it's all part. Oh, yeah, a, huge. A, that, that's the word. I should have used the word parallel, but it unfolds. It's all part of the birth pains. And Revelation is not that hard to understand uh, thematically in, in what's, what's the end goal. I think it's easy. It's trying to make sense of the 